what uh, Ephesians says, you must put away all bitterness, anger, wrath, quarreling, slanderous talk, indeed all malice. And oh, that we were quick to respond like we are with taste. You know, that when something comes to us that is of a bitter nature, that we'd immediately say, I can't have this in my life. I can't allow this to stay here. This is not the way that I need to be living. Because regularly we just kind of will chew on it and it's like, well, you know, we swallow it, take it, take it some more, and it just kind of grows in this coldness, in this anger, frustration. I, uh, I was thinking about this and, and just that awareness and going, if we could associate that bitter flavor with these incidents and say, I can't have this. There are times when sickness even is attached to such things, right? There are times when people stew on it so long that sickness of mind but also sickness of body goes along with that. And you're just kind of going, this is not a good flavor. This is not a good I have a memory many years ago, uh, a young woman was brought into my office, another person had brought her. She was, in a sense, the nastiest person I had met to that point in life. I've met a few more since then. In, in, in the moment, everything, every question I asked came out with a scowl or anger. I'm going, I don't even know you. Why are you chewing on me? You know, it, it's... And, and at some point, I'm just going, man, I'm going to do some digging here because, you know what, I'm tired of this. And so I started asking questions, and it, it eventually comes out that her brother had been molesting her for years. And that's disgusting. But beyond that, there was this, this thing that he apparently had gone on and it that it hadn't affected him. But for her, it was like changing. And she was still carrying that sorrow and that bitterness. And it had changed her countenance. It had changed her behavior. It had changed her connection with others. In fact, it had made it, brought it to the place where nobody, even in meeting her, would want a, a second opportunity. And, you know, I'm looking at that and going, how tragic this is. What an awful thing for this to linger in her life in such a way that it was destroying her. I wish I could tell you I knew how everything turned out. I didn't. I, you know, I took a shot at trying to work with it. But it, she, she was out of my life after that single time. But I, I, I've always remembered that because it was like you're walking in a destruction from somebody else's filth and sin. You really weren't the guilty party, so why, you know, why that sorrow? And, and surely God has a way to release that if allowed. There's a... Um, in Romans chapter 3, Paul's building the argument that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
And he quotes a batch of Old Testament scripture. And, and uh, I want to read through that passage because it's, it's the wickedness that we come out of. It's the wickedness that he wants to transform us from. It's the, the lifestyle that, that he doesn't want us living in. But it goes this way. It says, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away together. They have become worthless. There is no one who shows kindness, not even one. Their throats are open graves. They're they deceive with their tongues. The poison of asps is under their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. He says that's a measure of the wicked. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery are in their paths. In the way of peace they've not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. He says that's where things can go when people are not pursuing God. But we are called to something different. We are called to live differently. And James makes the point, he says, you know, bitter water and sweet water don't come out of the same well. And it's not to be coming out of our lives as well. He also says, who's wise and understanding among you? He should show it by his good conduct, his works done in gentleness. And you, if you have bitter jealousy and selfishness in your hearts, don't boast such, and tell lies against the truth. He says, such wisdom's not from above. It's earthly, natural, and demonic. So he's saying, among us who profess Christ, the fruit of our lives and fruit of true wisdom should be a peace and a health, so to speak, coming out of our mouths. He says the contrast to that is when we are starting spouting trash and destroying in words that break down others. He says that has demonic roots, and we need to acknowledge it for what it is. In other words, if it's coming out of my mouth and it has a bitter taste, and the effect on others, I need to acknowledge it for what it is. Hebrews, pursue peace with everyone and holiness, for without it, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no one be like a bitter root springing up and causing trouble, though it, through it many become defiled. This is written, I've always treated it as an individual thing. Don't let a root of bitterness grow up inside of you. But really, the, the approach of this particular passage is kind of a corporate sense. And he's saying, as a group, don't let bitterness grow within you. Don't let the profane or the evil have a place where it can just kind of grow. And, and the idea of roots is it may not be seen, it may not be on the surface, but it still has powerful effect and influence. There's a couple other translations that that uh, carry their thought and says, don't let anyone become bitter and cause trouble for the rest of you. It's one way they translate it. And then uh, another one says, let no root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble and by it many become defiled. So it says, there's a danger to allowing that even in your midst as a group. It can kind of feed things in a way that's destructive. Now, let's look at some of the examples in Scripture of people participating that way. It says, Ahab went to his palace bitter and angry that Naboth the Jezreelite had said, I will not sell you my ancestral inheritance. 
And he lay down on his bed, pouted, and would not eat. This is a king, by the way. And you know, he's throwing a tantrum. And he's, he's going, the guy wouldn't do what he wasn't supposed to do in selling me this piece of land that I wanted. And his wife Jezebel says, well, that's fine. I can take care of that. And she kills Naboth. Well, they pay the price for that. But it's like, this is the, how selfish people can get. And the activity that they do can have that kind of bitter influence on others. It's a dangerous thing. But we need to acknowledge it even in ourselves that when, when I'm responding out of selfishness and I'm wanting to do something that I know will hurt someone else, but it makes me feel better, let bitterness, let me be aware of that bitterness and spit it out, so to speak. There's a Proverbs that says, the heart knows its own bitterness, and with its joy no one else can share. It says there are depths within each person that no one knows the fullness of the emotion or the, the, the depth of the soul of how things affect us. And he says sometimes that's bitterness, sometimes it's joy. The story is told of Hannah in Scripture when they would go to the, the temple every year and, and, and sacrifice to the Lord or the tabernacle. And uh, she, was, uh, she would go there and she would weep because she didn't have a child. And uh, the man who had married her had another wife as well, and the other wife would tease her and say, yeah, that's too bad. You know, and, and that bitterness grew in her. But she kept calling out to the Lord and saying, please. And then she eventually makes a vow saying that if you give me a child, I'll give him back to you. We know the prophet Samuel because he was one of the most famous prophets in the Old Testament. But that's the child that came out of that bitterness. And there's something inside of me that goes, God can turn bitterness into joy if we'll let him. If we are willing to let God take the things that are most odious to us in life and let him deal with them as he will, he can turn those things into good. But it's only in his hands, and it's supernatural for sure. Um, there's a story told in 2 Samuel of, of the Israelites that are fighting David. Uh, Saul had died, but there's still two portions of a kingdom that should be one. And so David has his group. He's growing in strength. And then Abner is commanding another. David's general is Joab, and Abner is on the other side. And they're fighting, and eventually it comes down to Abner's trapped on a hill, and Joab is coming up. And Abner calls out, and he says, Enough! If this continues, we're all going to die. And the idea is, should brothers really be treating each other that way? Should brothers be in a place where they're actually destroying one another? And Job says, you're right, this is wrong. And he, and he leaves, and they separate. And I was thinking, you know, sometimes in family life, it happens the same way, right? That jabbing back and forth and destroying one another. And it happens in such a way that it... You know, somebody has to say enough. Somebody has to be willing to just stop. In my family, 
humor was such that it always had a, a dagger attached to it. That's how I was brought up. And we learned how to slide it in with a smile in such a way that the other person might not even know that they'd been torched until like a little bit later. And then it's like, ooh. And, and we got used to be getting very good at that. You know, jab, pull back, cover up, and then wait for them to get it. And I remember at a meal one time, a Thanksgiving meal, and I'd been duking it out, so to speak, with my sister-in-law, and I realized this has got to stop. And we, I've got to quit trying to one-up. It isn't enough to build myself up by putting others down. And I stopped. Now, did it stop in the family right away? Absolutely not. In fact, for several years, it continued, and I just kept my mouth shut, thinking, well, they probably think I don't have an answer. Yeah, I'm feeling like a dope in this moment. But it was the right thing to do. And out of that, things begin to get better. You know, and, and those relationships begin to heal. And then the jabbing quit. You know, and I'm going, oh. But sometimes we have to be the ones that are willing to stop. We have to be the ones that are willing to say, take your shots, but I'm not stepping into this. Because there's a knowledge it's bitter and it's not good for the soul. Colossians says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. The other translations uh, speak this slightly different. Husband must love his wife and not abuse her. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. So the translators, it appears, aren't quite sure which way this flows, right? It, it, it looks in some translations like it's husbands don't get bitter over what your wife does. And other translations says don't do things that make your wife bitter. I think either way you read it, it's valuable. And often, you know, in the relationship that you think is most precious in life, it's easiest to see the, say the things that damage the most. It's easy to say something that you're trying to get a point across or you're angry in the moment, and that can create a wound that carries for years. And generally is not taken care of until you deal with it face to face and there's a true apology that not only says I am sorry but it also says I am not going to do this again and I recognize my sin for what it is because you know we get used to you know we train the kids sorry you know you're not <laughs> you're not getting off that couch until you're willing to say I'm sorry you know well, it's nice outside and I know what I need to do, whether my heart is turned or not. And sometimes we take that even into adulthood. And yet, 
the other knows when it's heartfelt or not. And until you're truly changing your heart in the thing, it's not a complete apology. You know, you, you're just saying enough to get off, but you're not really turning so that it doesn't happen again. Don't ask them to open up their heart fully in that area until they can sense that something's truly changed. Because if they do and you haven't changed, they're just ready for another shot, and it hurts too much. So we need to, again, get aware of the taste and say, that's bitter. It's not for me. Eight times in Job, uh, the term bitter or bitterness comes out. And, of course, Job's a good book for that because, you know, he's, he's a very wealthy man. His family is all doing well. And everything's going great until God and Satan have a conversation. And Satan says, well, you built a fence around him. Take that away and he won't worship you. And so God says, okay. Now, Job apparently is completely unaware of the situation. And yet his life changes in a moment. And so his children are wiped out. His business, so to speak, with the animals and fields is just gone. His servants are destroyed. And, and, and so he's left with nothing except a wife who's willing to say, curse God and die. In other words, he, he's a, the only person left in his life is just telling him, man, your life is miserable. You're better off dead. So, you know, that, that thing is not good. And so his, his thoughts are coming out in this book. And uh, there's an expression of recognition that um, God is somehow connected to this thing. And he says, why does God give light to the one who's in misery and life to those whose soul is bitter? He says, why do our people, why do they continue to live when life is so miserable? In that moment, he's saying, I'd be better off dead myself. I'd rather be dead. He says, he does not allow me to recover my breath, for he fills me with bitterness. It just keeps coming. And then he says, I'm going to vent. I'm, I'm tired of this. Therefore, I'll not refrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I'll complain in the bitterness of my soul. A little later, I'm weary of my life. I will complain without restraint. I'll speak in the bitterness of my soul. And then later again, it's still not resolved. And he's going, even today, my complaint is still bitter. His hand is heavy despite my groaning. In the 27th chapter, as surely as God lives, who has denied me justice, the Almighty who has made my life bitter. And again, this is where it's coming down to, he's saying, if God is just, where is justice for me? If God is the one who, who sees things and evaluates and makes good, fair judgments, why did this happen to me? Later on, God says, who darkens my counsel? Who's making these statements? And, and then he says, were you there when I formed the earth? And he, and he goes through a batch of things, and Job goes, man, I didn't even know the half of this. 
know, and, and he recognizes that God has the right to make those calls and make those decisions and that he is just. So all of that said, Proverbs comes in and says, many people seek the face of a ruler. You know, maybe somebody in authority can straighten things out for me. But it is from the Lord that one receives justice. He says, ultimately, we're going to have to trust God in this if we're going to see things through. Ultimately, he is going to have to make life work out. So going back, in a family relationship, sometimes hurts come in, and that other person has no interest in changing and may not for many years. You're going to have to go to the Lord and say, only you can keep this thing from residing in me and becoming bitterness. Only you can keep this bitter taste from consuming me. In the same way, when I was looking at that thing of brothers and I'm thinking of race relationships in our culture right now, the only thing that keeps it from getting worse is a heart that says, I am not going to take offense. And I am not going to insult or hurl hurt in another direction. But rather, I am going to live with an open life and, and keep my heart available to others. You know, because it, it, that is needed in our day. And it's not to take on more and say, well, I knew it was going to happen this way. And I knew that's the way they would respond. You know, it, it goes both ways. Somebody has to stop, right? Somebody has to be willing to say, I'm not taking it a step further. In fact, if anything, I'm going to open my door and say welcome. The, uh, the depths of sorrow that some people feel is more than what any of us may know, even in this room. And yet, my only hope truly for you is that God will take those things as you yield to it. That he can transform bitter memories and take the sting out of it. How does that happen? I, I don't know in the natural, but I know that it does. We, for several years, walked through a thing that was called sozoing. And it was like taking bitter memories or memories that were hurtful in the past and allowing them to open up before God. And sometimes people would get an insight or a glimpse of something that would be, um, say, from years and years ago. And uh, it's like the Lord would rebuild those memories. And he'd take the sting out of them. And you go, but well, why did this happen? And, and yet he would, ex there would be explanations, so to speak, as well. Or sometimes I'd catch a glimpse of a picture that would, would be of joy now instead of the other. And you're going, this is marvelous. I didn't even know this was available to me, but it, it happens. One of the... <laughs> I, I've shared this before, but one of the significant memories for me as a kid, um, I'd been out with some cousins in a field. I... They'd come over to my place, and, and my dad had some animals, and uh, he was a former farmer who hadn't completely given it up yet. And so we had this land, and, 
and I used to go out and I'd, I'd ride the pigs. <laughs> what do kids in the country do? You know, you jump on and hang on for as long as you can. And uh, so I brought my cousins out there, and at one point we took off running, and I thought to that point that I was fast. Well, they just took off and I couldn't keep up. And I, it was bitter for me. And I was like, what? You know, and I took that on. It's like, man, I must not be any good at this. And years, you know, I'm standing up in this corner when, and, and that memory comes back, and I'm going, and think it was still there, but apparently it, it still affected me. And I remember having the Lord address it, and one of the things that I had never thought about is that all of those guys were at least a year older than me. So it's appropriate that he would be faster. You know, some were three and four years older, but in that moment, as a kid, I didn't evaluate that. I just knew that I wasn't as fast. But, you know, then then God says, but you've also taken that in some other directions where you, you know, you've allowed inferior feelings to develop in some of these areas. That's not appropriate for the child of God. It's not appropriate. And some things you don't do better, but that's okay. Some things you just plain stink at, but it's okay. Because you're loved. And, and you know, to just have that rebuilt, so to speak, was powerful. And I would almost bet, if I were a betting man, that in this moment, if you were to just say, okay, do I have something like that? <laughs> almost immediately, something will flash to mind. And the easiest thing is to go, oh, no, not that. Because it's bitter and you don't want to deal with it. But it may be God's saying, I'm willing to take the sting out of that right now. I'm willing to help you release that. And that's where the healing of our lives comes. And it's wondrous. It's available. It's there for us. I just, uh, I, I want to conclude this. And uh, we're going to go into prayer, and we're going to uh, spend time in groups of three or four, as is our habit. But I encourage you, if, if you have something like that in the forefront, don't ignore it, but ask others to pray with you for the healing of your soul, and so to speak, in that moment. Uh, bitterness and its companion angers have a way of infiltrating our lives, but they do not bring about the righteousness of God. And so when you taste that bitter taste of an activity or an action, there's a need to just say, nope, not going to keep chewing on this and swallow it. We may focus our bitterness upon those in authority over us, but ultimately we must face God with our frustration. He is the ultimate authority, and he is the one who can truly turn events or help us to deal with them as they are. And finally, godly wisdom and righteousness will not allow bitterness to reside long-term within our hearts. He's wired us differently, and we're not meant to hold it. So, Lord, we thank you for your scripture that speaks life to us. We thank you that you bring truth through it. Now, I ask that in this morning, as we've looked at this topic, 
that you would work in our hearts in such a way that healing would come for things that either we have done to others and you give us the courage to go seek forgiveness or the things that have been done to us that you would help us to release them in you. Guide us in that we ask.